Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. introduction got loud at the end. I don't know why. I apologize. Uh, Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is 8 o'clock on Tuesday, and you know what that means. That means it is bantering the blue shirts, because I could not do um, tomorrow or Friday, and the Rangers play on Thursday. But as a reward, we have something very special for you. We have a Mr. Patrick Kern. Did I say that right? Is it Kearns? Yeah, yeah, that's it's a very normal name. Pretty hard to screw up. Very, very normal name, yes. Patrick Kearns. Uh, joining us with Michael Murphy. Mike, I know I said your name right. It's just straight to the point. Yeah, it's the most. It's practically John Smith. It's a hard one to mess up. It is almost almost worse than John Smith, actually. Just Mike Murphy. It's the um, Irish John Smith. Sure, the Irish version of uh, John Smith. The, we have quite a bit to say and talk about oh god there's so much um last show mike had a really bad idea and that idea was let's not be (laughs) overly mean to vigneau and i thought i will listen to this bad idea um this year or this this show this week we are not listening to that idea that is a terrible idea um the rangers somehow beat Nashville in what I think could have been one of their worst games of the year. Um, they lost to San Jose and they are two, six and two, which I wrote about in my notes story from the game this morning that I, even in my most pessimistic view, I did not see the New York Rangers walking down the first 10 games of the season with two wins. I, I just didn't see it. And I, I think we've kind of, the website has gotten this negative connotation of being super pessimistic. And I really thought this year was going to be the year that we proved that that wasn't the case. And oh boy, I have been wrong about a lot of things. So um, Patrick, welcome. First of all, thank you for coming on the show. Um, hey, thanks as for the guest, me, guys. The, the guest of honor, you get to answer the first question. What is happening? <laughs> The Rangers aren't winning. I mean, simply is what's happening. Uh, but let's let's kind of dive in right at the top because I think that that's the smartest place to start when dissecting any sort of issue. Uh, and we'll go to the coach first. I know we don't want to be too coach heavy, but, but let's go over it first. The reason 
the reason that I think it's time to make a change uh, is simply because at a point when you get a guy where his message isn't getting through to the players or whatever, even if that's not it, they're simply not winning. And replacing a coach is the easiest thing to do. They replace players all the time. I think in sports we got too hung up on kind of stability at the coaching position. And I just think that coaches are a lot more disposable than people think. I think that if things aren't working, you make a change. He's not on the salary cap. I mean, Jim Dolan can give X amount of money to Donald Trump per campaign quarter. Can he just pay Elaine Vigneault? Clearly – the team isn't hurting for money, make a change. It's really, it's really a lot simpler than you think. Make a change. The, maybe the number one thing about rooting for a Dolan-owned team is that there are no money concerns. There, I don't ever think about money from that standpoint. And not that it's my responsibility to be concerned about Dolan's finances or whether or not the Rangers are making money, but I'm to me, Vigneault's extension means nothing. It means nothing because it's money. They were paid Wade Redden $6.5 million a year to play in Hartford. Money means nothing. The New York Rangers not only make revenue when people go into the gate, but it, honestly – where the real money is at in sports is TV networks. If you own your own TV network and you own all of that inventory, which the Rangers do for MSG, the Rangers do for the Islanders for MSG plus the Rangers do for the devils with MSG two plus whatever the hell it is. That's where they make their money. If he were to sell the entire franchise and the whole kit and caboodle, MSG would be one of the most valuable properties that you would get because that's what makes money. And I agree with you. This is not a money thing at this point. What what we're dealing with now is this brand level loyalty that we have seen poison, and that's the the adjective that I'm going to use at this point, poison the team for the past three years, maybe the past four years. I mean, maybe we're talking, I was talking to someone about this today um, right after D'Angelo got sent down, I said, it really feels like this organization is a joke at times. And I'm going to say from the summer of 2014, we got like four days of enjoying that Stanley cup run. You know, once you like voided all the bile out of your system from them losing that series. And then the Rangers let Strawman walk. They had already extended Girardi. Pouillot was gone, which made sense for the amount of money that he got. They brought in Tanner Glass. Um, there was just uh, – that's really – that was the beginning of the end. And I think you're right, Pat. I think there are specific moments where a coach – Mike Babcock, I think, is a really good example of some of a coach who came in with a plan to – oh, we have a phone down here. That's interesting. Um, came in with a plan, went to Toronto and said, hey, listen, this is what I want to do. I need seven years because I'm going to rebuild what we're working with right now. That maybe isn't a guy that's disposable because you're putting so much stock into his plan and what he's bringing to the table. But a guy like Vigneault, I mean, how many coaches out there are truly just game-changing coaches? Because a lot of people point to Vigneault as a coach that's had a significant amount of regular season success as a coach who's been very successful in the playoffs. And 
I would point right back at you at the fact that he had Roberto Luongo and Henrik Lundqvist in their prime, two of the elite goaltenders in this generation, and that takes a hell of a lot of bloom off the rose. You can't just I ignore think even the... further to that point, you said you look at a guy like Matt, Mike Babcock. I think even guys like Mike Babcock are disposable when their message becomes stale or, you know, it honestly – 15 games where it's not working and the team is at a point where they're going to lose the season. And, and it's, it's very quickly reaching that point now, you know, at, at two, six and two, you can't do much worse. I know the problem, the thing from people is, well, who are you going to replace him with? I mean, ideally somebody that would have won more than two of their first 10 games, you know, and it's pretty easy to accomplish that when what's part of the issue with the team is clearly the coach, holding them back at this point. A coach's first job should be to not be in the way of his player's success. And I don't think that that was always the case for Aline Vigneault, but I think with this iteration of the team, where they are now, that's the case. And the second that that becomes the case, whether it's Mike Babcock, whether it's Barry Trotz, those guys need to go. And you need to say, all right, who's up next? How can we change this team? How can we turn things around? Because the roster is not going to be totally made over in a week. A lot of these guys are here. They're on the salary cap. They're going to be here for a long time. You can't suddenly have a take back on Shattenkirk. You can't suddenly have a, a take back on Mark Stahl's contract. You can't suddenly say, hey, I want to redo the Derek Stepan trade and get my number one center back here. What you can do is replace the coach and just cross your fingers that the next guy in works. Yeah, there's, I think there's definitely something to, you know, it's gotten to the point where it's pretty clear that the message is lost. And, you know, there's that kind of general rule of thumb that after, you know, two or three years, you know, a coach saying the same thing in the locker room, it just kind of loses its impact and effect. And, you know, this is anecdotal, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, in that game against the Sharks, Giannone, you know, down between the benches was talking about, you know, the team came out from the second intermission and Zuccarella was, you know, talking and animated and trying to get everyone fired up. And then, boom, a goal is allowed early after all the talk, uh, both by, you know, the MSG broadcasters and by Vino himself when asked about the beat writers about allowing those early goals in games and early goals and periods where it just, you know, the team is just chasing all the time. And you'd have to imagine that he's saying something about, you know, we can't afford to make these mistakes and uh, we just keep seeing them. So, you know, it's the old definition of insanity. Like, At what point is the front office going to admit like, yeah, this, this isn't working and there's enough talent here where a two, six and two record, just, it doesn't add up. There's something else going on. And uh, I think it, it, the problem I think facing the Rangers is that New York is a really kind of crappy city to have a coaching controversy in because every little bit of controversy, every little bit of off the ice stuff or, you know, anything scandalous of any kind, it always gets ramped up a little bit. And Joe, I know you've said many times in the past that it feels like the beat writers maybe 
pull their punches a bit with Vino just because of the guy who came before him and how, you know, he was, it was such a terror for so many guys. But it's it's gotten to the point now where I don't know what else this team can do other than potentially making a really risky trade. And I think that making a trade at this stage of the season, you know, unless, unless the Rangers are very lucky, it's, it's a dangerous thing to do because there are so many things going wrong with the team that a lot of the problems, the big problems are kind of hidden. I mean, it's very clear that, you know, this team needs a center and it needs a center that's at least capable of playing in that middle six, you know, in that second or third line. And it's very clear that there's been a huge issue with defensive pairings and, you know, trying to find a role for someone as talented as, you know, Tony D'Angelo, who we'll get into later. But it's well, I'm glad to make a trade right now at the expense of keeping Elaine Vigneault around, like giving him another another life here. I'm not sure is the right thing to do. But with that being said, I just want to point out last season the first firing we saw was Gerard Gallant and that came on November 27th I think so it's we do see coaches get the axe early um, sometimes but 10 games it is New York and it is 2-6-2 and but uh, I do think that like what you said Joe the extension just doesn't matter after a certain point that was you know January 30th it's a long, long ways away. Uh, and the Rangers lost the playoff series that they shouldn't have lost. And, you know, they haven't gotten where they need to get under Vigneault. So go ahead. I'm glad you brought up. So first of all, I would just like to uh, introduce our good friend and Patreon backer, Eric Cohn. Hello, my good friend. Hello. How are you? Well, we're good guy. Producer how are you doing? of the show. Yeah, producer. Potential, you know producer who knows we could have secret producers exactly um and and i'm glad you brought up what you brought up mike because one of the things that eric wanted to bring up which i think is a really uh, quality topic is sort of this power struggle that we've been speculating on between gordon and Vigneault, and um really who's calling the shots at this point and how the politics are working inside the organization and eric i left you on hold long enough i'm sure you have some thoughts on that if you just want to go ahead and give us your breakdown yeah, so here's what I'm thinking. So two weeks ago, as I'm watching all of this go down, maybe one to two weeks ago, in my mind, the front office is playing out to me like the first half of the movie Moneyball, where Billy Bean has this theory, this strategy on how he's going to build the team and how he's going to be successful with it. And he doesn't have buy-in from his manager. And the manager's filling out the lineup card. He's fielding players in the way he thinks is best, not the way that the team is meant to be fielded. And that made sense to me for a while until we've seen the insanity of the last two weeks where Vigneault continues to just flail about. And this is the first thing I tried to understand and just can't wrap my mind around. Like, my background's in public relations. I'm good at getting into, like, even faulty logic and understanding it, and I can't make sense at all of what Vigneault is doing. To, like, go to the dressing seven defensemen and 11 forwards, you know, six games into the season or less than that is just – it comes off as nuts. So 
I think the other comparison to the Oakland A's and Moneyball is that you have a, you know, an owner that is basically like, you know, you do you. There's a lot less money um, involved with the A's, but they will basically let Bean do his thing. And this is what it occurs to me, that there is another power player within this whole structure that we have not mentioned yet, and that is Glenn Sather. And Glenn Sather is the guy who I think we can account for a lot of the poor decisions that predated Jeff Gordon being named the general manager. Um, it was under his, you know, president and GM that Strawman walked, that the Saul contract was signed, that the Girardi contract was signed, that Tanner Glass was signed in the first place. Um, and I, the way I think it is working right now is that Gordon was probably told, I want to think, he was told that, yeah, you're the general manager, you'll have this decision-making, we'll invest in your vision for the team. And he started to do that. You, with the trades that he made, with the signings that he made, um, you know, Shattenkirk, we can set aside, but like even just the D'Angelo trade that I don't like giving up Derek Stepan and him saying that he wanted to be a Ranger for life is like twisting the knife in my heart at the moment. But you got an asset that at least I could deal with the trade on a business level if they played the asset. And I think Gorton felt that he had buy-in and now it's AV has never been on board. Sather is really not on board with this vision. And it's just a, he's stuck between these two different people. And Sather probably, I think we could just assume, has a lot more clout. And I think it's Sather is more responsible for mucking this up than Gordon. Gordon, I agree with you, has blood on his hands. And he has, um, you know, he's been there and indulged some of these decisions. But I don't know that he has full decision-making rights. Uh, and I think he's probably being undermined by that kind of two-headed power structure between Sather and Gordon as decision makers, rather than just a GM running it the way he thinks he should be. I, I actually, so you brought up something that I actually wanted to ask you about, Pat. Um, when, so, well, let me start with this, Eric. You're talking about a potential Sather infusion right to what Jeff Gordon is doing and I don't necessarily think that's the the dumbest strata or the dumbest hypothesis in the world because the Eric Stahl trade kind of felt like a a Glenn Sather thing but here is something that I have been thinking about a lot when Strawman walked the Rangers never reached out to him to negotiate a contract the Rangers just you know they didn't say anything he gave them a warning, like, I'm going to go test the free agent market. If you don't get back to us, I really want to stay in New York. Gone. When Carl Hagelin got traded, it was revealed that the New York Rangers never attempted to talk to him about a salary. They never attempted to talk to him about what he could do. He thought he was going to be a Ranger for life. Gone. No negotiation. Both of those were under Glenn Sather. Um, Keith Yandel was under Jeff Gordon. The Rangers never once reached out to Keith Yandel about keeping him around, about what the salary was going to be, about what he was looking for. And I'm not even saying they didn't negotiate with him. They didn't pick up the phone and say to his agent, hey, what are you looking to make next year? Those are all things that happened under two different general managers. So whether Sather has a, a direct say, or if there is at least some form of his influence that still exists, I don't know, but I, I, I keep saying this, and I think I'm going to I'm going to turn a little bit on Gordon, somebody who I wanted to have this job, somebody who I thought was going to do a really good job at being the general manager. He has a lot of blood on his hands right now. 
he has a lot of blood in his hands for the way this team looks. He traded Stepan with no plan whatsoever to replace him, or if he did have a plan, it was his only plan, and it, and it failed. Um, Hedo went straight down to the minors. D'Angelo can't get a sniff. Vigneault is dangerously close to leading this team to being more than three points out of the playoffs by the end of October, which, as we know because of the wonderful Elliot Friedman, is pretty much a death sentence as to making the playoffs. And he's just sitting there watching it and letting this happen. So, Pat, as somebody who has been in the room, as somebody who's, who's been around the team on a more intimate level, are, are, is that ever something you got the sense of? This maybe I don't want to say power struggle because I don't think it's a fight at the top, but this either influence. Well, I, I will say uh, it's interesting to kind of note maybe the disconnect between Gordon and Vigneault because I think it existed when Sather was here too, uh, and maybe it was because Sather was on his way out. But if we look back at watch the press conference from the Keith Yandel trade deadline after they got Keith Yandel. Glenn Sather came into a press room that I was sitting into, smiled ear to ear, saying, we got the guy that's going to put us over the top. This is a player we've, this team has been trying to get for a long time. This is a role we've been trying to fill for a long time. And we know how the Keith Yandel experiment turned out. He played third line minutes, third pair minutes. He was mostly used as a power play specialist. The Rangers didn't even, like you said, make a, a, pass at negotiating with him at all because Elaine Vigneault basically seemed to not have any interest in playing him. And now, you know, fast forward to the summer, everything they said about bringing Kevin Shattenkirk in is every single thing that they said about bringing Keith Yandel in and plus some because he's right-handed and can play with Ryan McDonough. Now we're 10 games into the season and Kevin Shattenkirk can't find a consistent partner. Ryan McDonough can't find a consistent partner. I just think that there's this chasm between what the message is from the general manager and what the message is from the coach. And I think part of it is when you have a really strong coach like Elaine Vigneault, it gives him a lot of, I guess, gravitas to make those decisions. And it gives him – Elaine Vigneault has got carte blanche on how this team is used, and I'm almost sure of it. And, I mean, it's just – it's just counter. It's just counter to everything that they've made. It just doesn't seem like the two are talking at all. You know, where? Why sign Kevin Shattenkirk if you're not going to use him like that? Why give up all the assets for Keith Yandel, who I thought was a great player and worth the assets they gave up for him, if you're not going to use him that way? At some point, the general manager needs to put his foot down and say, "We're putting this team together. It needs to be used that way." And, and I mean. Uh, to further, I mean, Eric's point, just like the, the money ball analogy you had used, it, it makes a lot of sense. But at, at one point, now the general manager's got to be the bigger guy. And that brings me back to replacing the coach. If the coach isn't willing to utilize the roster the way you want him to, the coach needs to go. And it, it's really just that simple. And well, one that of two last things, you either point... need to get, get rid of the coach or you need to uh, have the GM trade off all of his toys that he won't stop playing with, and we haven't seen either of that. And that's where I agree with you, Joe, that Gordon has blood on his hands. If he does have the decision-making power then, and his coach is not playing the team it was construct, the way it was constructed to be played, then he needs to take action. But think about how ridiculous that statement is. Think about how, how insane it is, and I agree oh, with what you're saying – 
that the, the two choices that we're discussing right now are fire Vigneault or he is so insubordinate to the way that Gordon wants this team run that he, you need to trade away all the players that he could potentially he could potentially use over more talented players. And I, Pat, to your point, at some, at some point, right, at some stage in the game, Gordon needs to be the bigger man. If he even – and this is to my concern, and it's something Mike and I have discussed on this podcast with, with Beth often, often, how upset about things could Gordon really be? Because to me, it is the definition of insanity. Tom, uh, Tom Ertz brought this up. Um, one of the writers, one of the really good writers for Blue Shirt Panther, that when the Rangers play the Arizona Coyotes tomorrow, they will not, or Thursday, I think they play Thursday, they will not have any assets from the trade in the NHL that they moved for Stepan. You traded your number one center for nothing as of right now. And I don't know how... Nobody has their and your hands backup up. goalie and your backup goalie. I don't know how no one has their hands up. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? Because when D'Angelo goes to Hartford, when Heedle goes to Hartford, that's not Vigneault walking into Gordon's office and saying, Hey, this is going to happen. That's Vigneault telling him, I'm not using this guy. Really. We're not doing anything. Um, you know, you can get him out of here because the, 11 forwards, seven defensemen is really just an excuse to scratch two forwards because D'Angelo played what? Six minutes in that game, eight minutes. I don't know. The Rangers had a lot of power play time. So he probably played a lot. And Vigneault did it knowing he was going to send him down the next day. So Gordon is at least complacent to what's happening right now. And I don't know, Eric, if that's a Sather influence, or I don't know if we need to start really dissecting whether or not Jeff Gordon is not the general manager that we thought he was. Because the, you can make the argument that Shattenkirk fell in his lap, that he just said, hey, I want to be a Ranger. This is the contract I want. Great. And that means that he traded Stepan without knowing that he was getting Shattenkirk. So what were you clearing the space for? And how could you go into this? And I thought my hypothesis was that they kept Heedle and Anderson with the team through training camp because they were going to make one of them the center for at least nine games. And Heedle lasted two games and he didn't even play 13 minutes combined in the two games. So the disconnect between, like you said, Pat, Gordon getting a player and doing something with a player and Vigneault utilizing the player, it just it, it doesn't make sense. At some point, somebody needs to step in and say, what the hell is going on? And I don't think it's going to come from the top because Dolan is very lucky and he doesn't get his hands involved with the Rangers. And thank God for that, if we're being honest. But then it's got to be Sather. And we've already seen, you know, that's a difficult road to go down. Mike, you haven't spoken in a while. What are your, uh, what are your thoughts on all this? Well, it's... Uh, I know the listeners can't see it, but I find myself just kind of nodding passively a lot to a lot of the points you guys are raising. Um, I think we, we offered Gorton a lot of leash and patience because he did inherit just so many bad contracts. Um, and 
you know, there's some signs that were pretty encouraging, like the Zabinajad trade was encouraging. Um, you know, it was, I thought seeing him recognize what Brendan Smith was, uh, was, was encouraging to some extent. Um, but with that being said, what we've seen in terms of, it, I mean, it's, it's no secret at all that Elaine Vino has favorites in the lineup and guys that he trusts more than other guys for whatever reason. And we saw, I don't know how many more examples we need, but we saw him give Jesper fast, you know, second line minutes at the expense of Pavel Buchnevich. I mean, why, why that is acceptable is beyond me. I mean, what part of, I mean, Jesper fast can track down pucks and he'll work his ass off, but, Buchnevich is just a, a different caliber player. He's the answer to a lot of the team's problems in regards to there's no even strength scoring right now to speak of. The power play has been great. They've been drawing penalties, but you, you don't go anywhere if you don't score even strength goals. And Vigneault in a team that is struggling to score and struggling to find that even strength offense is choosing to dress 11 forwards and to get Nick Holden in the lineup. And if that doesn't raise eyebrows in the front office, it, it really should be doing that because it, it you know, double shifting JT Miller and Mika's advantage is like, you know, it's a, it's a playoff trick. It's, it's something you, you use when your team is desperate, but this is a couple too many games in a row for the Rangers to look this desperate. For us to see Vino resorting to, you know, these kind of tricks this many times in a row, and what is what do we have at the end of this? We have a two six and two team. We have D'Angelo in the AHL. Uh, you know, we have uh, Nieves was called up today um, at the expense of or instead of Lettieri and uh, Hedl, and really there's just more pessimism, and it it gets to the point where. You know, it, it went from, in my opinion, like when we started writing about how the start was going, it was like, oh, this is a rough start. Uh, this is a tough stretch of games. To I think this is a full-blown disaster for the Rangers at this point, knowing what we know about how teams perform after rough starts and knowing what we know about his track record with managing a roster. And a big problem here is that a lot of the solutions at hand are these young players like the D'Angelo's and the Buchnevich's and he won't use them. He won't use them the way that they need to be used to help the team. It's just not, you know, just not in his DNA. It's just not in the way he coaches. And the, the honest solution here is that there are plenty of coaches who are qualified, who will give young guys like that a shot especially if they know that's part of what made them attractive to the front office in the first place. I'm, I've never been a guy who calls for a coach's head or, or suggests that it's, you know, he's overstayed his welcome, you know, in kind of rude and blunt terms. But I think that the writing has been on the wall for a while here. Now, this is, this is the end of the rope. I don't know how many more games the Rangers have to get in the hole before something happens but if his seat isn't red hot at the moment I don't really know what we can say other than the point that you know Eric brought up which is there's a lot of 
weird stuff going around in the front office and the power structure with how much of a say to say there have still, you know, is Jeff Gordon the guy who we thought he was and all that other stuff going on. But I don't know. I've talked myself into exhaustion again. Well, well, I think we can assume safely that Gordon or excuse me, Vigneault's seat can't be that, that hot because if it was red, red hot, why would he still have the power to request the Angelo go down? And I mean, at this point, you're, the Rangers are so bad under Gordon and Sather at making these enormous trades and then ruining whatever assets they get back for them. He wouldn't have that authority. If he, walk, if he was literally on the, the blade's edge of being fired, if he was sitting there and Gordon was saying, you know what, you are, if you don't win against the Coyotes, you are fired, there would be none of this, you know, D'Angelo gets to go down to the minors. It would be put the best team together and let's go. And it's just not there. The, the hammer does not fall. And I think that's part of the problem because this, this accountability that we all dream of for this team, and in part that's something we want Vigneault to give the players, it's not coming down. Vigneault told the media yesterday that everybody in the room had to be better, but not the room he was in. Everybody in that room had to be better, talking about the locker room. And I I agree with you, Mike. I think the media unfortunately treats Vigneault with kid gloves because they're not dealing with a guy like John Tortorella. He's not a meanie. I mean, I don't mean to embarrass you, Pat, but you are literally the only person who asked any questions about his usage, about his deployment, about the way that he used Tanner Glass. The only one. And Pat is not somebody who was a beat on the team who's going to every game and every practice for the past three years and just dealing like this is it's not not that obviously good journalism is everybody's responsibility if you're gonna be in the locker room, but like there are people who have put their heads in the sand on this for years. And he And just, I, I think I mean, if I can, if I can speak to that too, just you, you know, can. like I said, having been, having been in that locker room, I mean, I don't think that Elaine Vigneault gets the hardest time. I think that that's a fair assessment. Um, I mean, I would, for the record, I would love to be there every game. If somebody would love to pay me to be there every game, I will happily ask him whatever you want. But that being said, uh, I think part of that does speak a little bit, kind of, to our industry and to it being an access-based thing. I'm not going to kill reporters doing what their jobs are and what's asked of them. And, and truthfully, in 2017, with shrinking newspaper budgets and getting into boring industry stuff, really it's not a beat writer's job as much anymore to hold the coach accountable as it is for these guys to tell you what's happening with the team. They're, they're really kind of just been reduced to news reporters. I think that there should be two people from the New York Daily News there, one doing a game report, one doing critical analysis of the team. There should be two people from the New York Post at every game, you know, one doing a column, one doing a game report. I just think that – and maybe social media has kind of twisted this a little bit too because maybe we don't always need to hear the beat writers' opinions about everything because, truthfully, their opinions don't fully matter on the subject. Again, they're there to tell you what's happening around the team, what's happening in the games and do it pretty well. I, you know, I just think that part of it is that 
when I first started going to Ranger games, there were 14 people in that room after games. There's four now. You know, it's just, it's it's different. And it kind of speaks to the sad state of the industry. And maybe it speaks to how the guard is arranged. Did we lose you, Pat? I might have lost you there for a professional, minute. Do a very good job. Um, I think you guys are very professional and do a very great job. There's a lot of outlets that cover the Rangers, but they're not all getting access to the team, and they're not all in the room. And just letting more people into the room is the way to hold coaches accountable and hold people in power accountable for what they're doing. But until that happens, you're going to get sort of the same guys whose jobs depend on access and guys whose jobs it's not really to hold the coach accountable or to really provide that in-depth analysis. And I actually, Mike, before I let you derail the podcast, which you're really so good at, I I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. And I I think one of the, as much as the athletics, uh, I don't know if any of you saw the comments that they were making about, bleeding newspapers dry and they're just better than everybody else. But one of the points that they made that I thought was a very accurate one was the fact that a lot of newspapers are asking so much of their beat reporters that it has turned into just basic basic X's and O's game analysis. And I can tell you that when I was a, a newspaper, I was a sports reporter up in New Britain, when we were covering football, which was our big thing, that was all it was, get in. I had to take pictures. I was my own editor. You just don't have time to think critically. Um, where I have an issue is I think we have a target on our back. And I'm talking about the New York Rangers blogging community as a whole, but I'm also really talking about Blue Shirt Banter in general as just this outlet that is full of shit stirs that we try to incite panic and that the only way that we get our views and the only way that we have our viewership is by sort of ringing these alarm bells. And that's where, when I get the snarky, when people, when fans have general questions and they get the snarky responses and the, you know, it's not important to talk about whether or not Tanner Glass is in the lineup. That is what bothers me because you're right, Pat. There, it is unfortunately the job of a beat reporter has been watered down. But then you, you can't kick back and say, hey, listen, like you're an idiot for having an opinion on this when I can't ask questions about it. That That is what fires me up. Because the entire that, reason that we fair. exist... I think, Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's totally fair. I, I mean, I also think that just like unlimited access to social media for a lot of beat writers has broken their brains a little bit. 100%. Um, 100%. It's different. It's 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 a very different era of interacting with people who read you. I mean, I've worked in traditional newsrooms. I've worked in digital media newsrooms. I've read letters to the editor where everybody in the office laughs about the crazy letter to the editor. Twitter has broken that. Now, I mean, I get a lot of really dumb things tweeted at me. I try very hard now in 2017 to recognize that Every fan enjoys the game differently. Every fan is titled to their opinion. Unless they're personally attacking me, I'm just going to brush it off or laugh it off or just say, like, yeah, whatever, man. If you want, like, if you want Marshall to play with skates on his hands and you think that's a good idea, then go for it. That sounds great. But I, I just think a lot, of, a lot of beat writers struggle with that. And, and again, a lot of it is, is industry pressure. It's very, it's a very difficult job nowadays. It's 
a very thankless job nowadays. You're on the road a lot. You're alone a lot. You're traveling a lot. Um, but I, I agree that, I mean, you should just generally be a nice person. Just be nice to everybody. Yeah, I can only uh, – I could – I can only tell you the crazy, even we, the crazy stuff we get. And I come dangerously close to, like, releasing it to the public. But I don't want to draw attention to these in just, it's insane. It is insane. It really is. All right, Mike, go ahead. Ruin, Joe, ruin the podcast. Yeah, things have been running a little too smoothly. So, I mean, Pat, you've been great so far, but I don't like how things are going. So, uh, I hope everyone is familiar with what a hot. Remember that we is. have a Patreon yeah. backer on the show as well. No, I, I'm fully aware of that. Well, Joe, this is what the before uh, before you money. before we let Mike uh, derail the podcast, if I could jump in on the point you made about um, how dare what you. you guys do and what the uh, <laughs> shut up, Michael. Let him um, speak. As somebody, as somebody who is willing to you know pay money to support what you guys do, I mean, I I agree with that in, entirely, and this is what. This is my frustration with the coverage of the team and that I, I, I love what Pat said about what the way that it's hard on beat reporters now. And I try not to be too hard on them recognizing the limited resources that they're dealing with and the pressure that they're all under. But, you know, it's what's frustrating to me is I think it was Adam Herman who um, you know, tweeted one of the questions that was asked to Vigneault after last night's loss. And it's like, is this a time to turn to your leaders? And you've got, you have limited time with a coach in that room. And you already recognize that Vigneault, I think we could all agree that Vigneault is the kind of guy, as, as you've pointed out numerous times, is completely fluent and a master of coach speak. So if you're going to get anything of substance out of him, you can't just offer up softball questions like that. And you have to ask something a little more probing about, you know, even if it's like you, a better, a bigger reflection on you know the line of choices of, of dressing seven defensemen, um, and and that's the reason that you know it, it, sometimes it's necessary to press the panic button or to raise things that people don't want to hear. And you know if people don't want to enjoy their sports that way, you know I, I imagine that at at heart a lot of people do want um, people asking probing questions about what is going on with the team because I can't imagine anyone out there who's a Rangers fan is happy with what is going on right now. And they want to know why the team is not more successful. So it's necessary to raise those questions. And it's the reason that I'm you know, passionate about, even in my limited understanding of it, of analytics as a means of understanding these things, rather than the way that it has been dealt with for so long of like, oh, well, this looks like this, and we'll build a narrative out of it. Um, and these, we, we get these stories that really aren't connected to what is actually going on there. And we have something with which we can use to break through. And I think that, for me, is the ultimate frustration with watching the way Vigneault, who at this point, I don't know, like you said, I don't know why he's not, at least, I hope soon he will be, getting more of the John Tortorella treatment of the team's not performing, and he needs to offer some answers rather than just the everybody needs to be better in order to explain that. And I really wish that there was you know, a, commu- a community of journalism that pushed harder on that point other than occasionally Larry Brooks. Yeah, but if you don't, if you're not getting pressured, if I walked into work tomorrow and my sales numbers were at 50% and nobody said anything to me, I'm not saying anything to anybody. I'm drinking my coffee at my desk. 
I am logging on to Blue Shirt Panther, and I am kicking my feet up until somebody puts their foot in my ass. And I'd like to think that coaches make decisions independent of media pressure, but I know for a fact John Tortorella felt the pressure when he was not playing Chris Crowder. Because when Crowder scored that game-winning goal against the Bruins in the playoffs, he made a comment about, you know, you guys have been killing me about this, and I'm glad for him. And that's the example that I've used before. If John Tortorella attempted half of this, I think the the earth would be scorched. And maybe not as much as it was a few years ago when, like Pat said, there were definitely differences in the way that news organizations and news entities were, were deploying their beat reporters. But I think it's different because he's nice to them, because he makes their life not miserable. All right, Michael, we've made you wait long enough. Go ahead and ruin the podcast. I feel just utterly superfluous on the podcast tonight. There's too many good points being raised. Uh, it's just, there's no room for nonsense, I feel. But anyway, time for nonsense. If everyone knows what a hot plate is, it came to my mind because, you know, we hear this, you know, this, it's the sports idiom, this, you know, the hot seat, you know, and how hot is his seat and all that. And I was wondering, because it, it's like, how do you quantify, like right now, realistically, how hot do you think Vino's seat? And I thought the best way to do that might be to say, what's the biggest thing you could cook on Vino's hot seat right now? Like, are we talking... I'll let you answer first, Joe, because I hate you. Um, are we talking, like, like a pigeon? Could you cook a pigeon on it? Or maybe, like, a, a small hen? Like a Cornish game hen? I would love to tell you a colossal squid. Because we have brought up colossal squids on here multiple times, unfortunately. But I, I am still in the camp that his seat's really not that hot. Because right now, I think I'm so going to make a semi-hockey like point. You could, you could heat up a tortilla on it. I think that right now, Gordon is looking to make a trade. So I'm just going to bring in a very quick hockey point to your nonsense. I think Gordon is looking for a trade. God damn it. And I don't think he would be looking for a trade if he intended to fire Vigneault. Because, like you said way, way earlier, this is just a new life. Everything that happens is a new life for Vigneault. It's every game, the win against did like did the win against Nashville save his career or his job? I don't I'm gonna say no because the Rangers got their heads kicked in against San Jose and nobody's doing anything. Vigneault gets to send down the one player on defense who has the potential to be another Kevin Shattenkirk, and that's the end of that. We have no assets left in the NHL for the Stefan train. So I don't know, Cornish game hens are pretty small, but it probably has to be heated a lot. Maybe a quesadilla, a nice little quesadilla. It'll be cooked on hit it right now. All right. A little cheese. Yeah, maybe a little, uh, little chicken. I don't know. Chicken quesadilla? Patrick and Eric, you don't have to answer this question. No, they absolutely have to answer it. Eric, you pay for this. You have to answer it. So it would be my hope that his feet is actually hot enough to cook a whale. But Whoa. I don't think that's oh, real at the man. moment. Um, I, you, how could I know? Uh, a beluga whale? Um, a manatee? Uh, Manatee's I, not I a whale. I'm going to go with a beluga. It. It's, not, it's, not, <laughs> it's an entirely different animal uh, altogether. 
Uh, it should be hot enough to cook a beluga whale at this point, but I'm going to go with it's warmer than what Joe says. Um, And that's what makes this whole situation uh, somewhat sad, right? Uh, I'm going to go with it's hot enough to to cook a pheasant. Um, And I think the reason is at at the end of the day, uh, this is New York City. Um, Even though I'm calling you from Chicago, I'm talking like I'm there. Um, This is New York City. And a team that is going to continue to lose at the clip that it is losing is not going to retain its coach all that long. I just fundamentally believe at the end of the day that they, they just can't continue to ride it out through a – they could ride out a mediocre season with Vigneault, you know, losing at it's a 500 team or something like that. But at the clip they're going, it, it won't last that long. So I'm going to say seven. Did you say the, word, the number seven? No, pheasant. 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 Okay. Small pheasant. game hen, Joe. I thought you were. Yeah. I thought you answered larger my question. Larger than the Cornish hen, but. Yeah, larger than a dec- bird with decorative feathers. The pheasant. Which has now been cooked. Patrick, you, you want to get in on this nonsense? I will give you a pass if you don't want to get in on this nonsense. Yeah, no, I'll I'll answer your question. It's as legit a question <laughs> as any. I will of the play your game. Is what he's saying. Yeah, it, um, I'm going to give him like, I really don't think it's that hot to be at, despite all of the, the early talk where I said, I, I think that it's time to move on. Um, I, I think he's got at least the, the 40 game mark to turn this around. And, and that's wow. a lot of leeway for a team that that's failing. So I'm going to say you can cook like a couple hot dogs on it. Just like a all right. two. Which is Just depressing because hot, hot dogs. dogs don't even really need to be cooked. You could eat them if you wanted no. to. Yeah, but you want to cook. Could, I mean, like, I want to, I want to try the man. hot dogs, but I've got a hot plate, and that's all. I mean, if you're offering uh, me a grill, yeah. that's another another thing. But you're giving me a hot plate, man. This is all I've got. I'm just trying to mm. feed my family. What's it? He's just trying to feed his family. He's here so it doesn't get fun. Yeah. That's all. Eat, like <sighs> eating a slightly above room temperature hot dog is pretty depressing. Mike, yeah. what would no uh, what would you say no to your sense. question? Well, being the idiot that I am, I couldn't help but think of, like, who would have a hot plate? Normally, I'd think of people who are down in their luck. So I thought, like, a, a cane of soup would probably be, I would hope that it would be hot enough to heat up, like, a can of, of, can of baked beans, maybe. Like, a, Vino was a, a vagrant with a, with a hobo's bindle in, like, a, an abandoned train yard or something like that. And I would imagine... That's how hot his seat would be, only because, okay, you know, it's it's New York. It's two six and two. Someone has to be accountable here, and it's a lot. As you know, Patrick said, it's such a good like. It's so much easier to to get rid of the coach, and for a team like the Rangers who can afford to throw money around like you know confetti a little bit, it's very easy to do this. Uh, you know, Gallant, I think, what was it? He, after 33 games is when he got the axe. So 40 games seems reasonable, although that might cause a lot of panic among listeners to hear that we might be, you know, on the hook for another 30 games of Vino kind of fumbling around trying to figure out what he can do to really not only just save the Rangers season, but save his job. Uh, He signed through, what is it? 20, 18, 19, is that when he's signed through now? Um, 
you know, if he, I don't think he he not only needs to right the ship here, but he needs to move this in a direction where, you know, the Rangers look like a playoff team again because it's the fact that the Rangers don't have a, a player from that step on trade on the ice uh, for Thursday's game is awful, but it's also it's something we always kind of tap dance around. We don't like to bring it up too much, but there's the cup window in Henrik Lundqvist's age, and it's it's pretty safe to say he's already in decline. That doesn't mean he's a bad goalie, and it doesn't mean that you know he's in a tailspin or anything like that. But he's not the best goalie in the world anymore. That's just that's just the way it is. Uh, he is still, however, comfortably in the top 10 or maybe even on some people's list, the top five in the league. And that's where I think he is when he is healthy and he doesn't have a nightmare defense in front of him. Right now, the Rangers, in addition to all the even strength scoring woes, are also, you know, I think it's Hank is, I think, faced the third highest percentage of high danger chances at even strength coming into that San Jose game. So the Rangers are asking a lot of him. They're hanging him out to dry. Yes, he's allowed some weak goals, but this isn't just Hank is bad. This isn't just Rick Nash only has one goal. This isn't Kreider only has one goal. Uh, This isn't Shattenkirk was a mistake in terms of just raw numbers and considering he's playing with, you know, Mark Stahl. Shattenkirk's been fine. That's not the problem here. Like, Brian McDonough hasn't been good, but we don't like to talk about that. No one wants to talk about how bad McDonough's been. But the big problem all been pretty easiest, good. Yeah, but the easiest itch to scratch is the the coach has to get changed. Um, there is anxiety about, all right, if, if Vino gets the axe, is it Lindy Ruff? Because it'll probably just be more of the same. And that's a significant worry. Uh, but the question becomes, who is out there that, isn't attached to a job right now, you know, who's a free agent on the coaching market. And I don't know if there are any names that jump out to you guys, but uh, there's none that really strike me as incredibly appealing. Daryl Sutter is the, I think the easy name for this type of a conversation, just because he's won the Stanley cup before he's won it twice. Um, Did really good things in LA, but one of the conversations that we've had in our, our blue shirt banter chat room on Twitter has been the Rangers need to go in a totally different direction. If you fire Vigneault and bring in more of the same and Scott Arneal and Lindy Ruff are more of the same. Sorry. Arneal, maybe not if he really is just watching this train wreck and taking things in a totally different direction, a la Mike Sullivan and John Tortorella, but you need to bring in something completely different. And I, I do think the NCAA ranks is a place that the Rangers should look, but the Rangers never do anything unconventional. I'll throw in a, a special plug for my boy, Ram Pecknold from Quinnipiac as a guy who's had a ton of success in, in the NCAA ranks, somebody who's uh, a guy like that, somebody who would bring a different viewpoint to the game he would bring a different viewpoint to the way that the Rangers are being coached right now. It would be totally different. That's what I think the Rangers need. And unfortunately, the Rangers are really, really bad as an organization at getting out of their comfort zone. Um, I thought Gordon was sort of this entrance into that 
but is somebody whispering? Mike, I feel no. like you were whispering. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say it. All right. No, I wasn't that was whispering. Just, that was creepy and bizarre. That's for later. This, Not for now. This podcast is, is haunted. Um, the Rangers are really bad at getting out of their own comfort zone. And I thought that Gordon was going to be this sort of exit strategy of there goes Glenn Sather. Here comes Gordon. He had a hand in the, the Bruins Stanley Cup team. This is a guy who made some enormous risk trades and they all panned out. Let's see what he's got going for him and not impressed. I mean, I get that it's, it's only been two years, but just the, the amount of leash that he's given this head coach, I think has caused a lot of problems. And, and like Patrick said, um, at this stage in the game, the coach is disposable. If you're this far up Shit's Creek, because this is not the, the ideology that you could look at every year separate from one another is insanity. You have to judge Vigneault on what he's done in his tenure in New York. And if you think the past three seasons have been acceptable, I have a bridge to sell you. So I, that's what I would do. But I don't, I don't see that happening. I think if the Rangers do anything drastic, it would be a guy like Sutter. He's a, a winner. You know, you throw his name in there. You're not going to – you're keeping it in the middle of the fairway, whatever those quotes would be, yada, yada. Pat, do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you're going to go, like, in a total different direction, the guy from Quinnipiac or, or, you know, farming somebody from the minors, I think that that's a, a coaching change that needs to happen in an off season, And it, it gives a guy a chance to, you know, have some say about the type of guys that he brings in, have some say about the type of system that he implements. So if that's the route you're going to go, I almost – I almost just say let Elaine Vigneault play out the rest of the year. And, and, and maybe it's not a bad thing to let Scott O'Neill take over for the rest of the year and just to kind of signal to the team that this is not okay, this is unacceptable. And then you go and you make one of those, you know, out-of-the-box hires in the off season. But, I mean, I also don't think that Sutter is a bad coach. I think that he did a lot of really good things in L.A., he probably wouldn't be the guy that I would immediately go look to hire, but I don't think that it would be a bad thing for the Rangers. You know, I think that like everything, let's see how the team responds to whoever they bring in. And then let's see, you know, you can't judge a coaching hire before it happens. I didn't think Mike Sullivan was a good coach because he was under John Tortorella, who I also don't think was a good coach in New York. And look what he did in Pittsburgh. He shocked me and he surprised me because he knew how to get the most out of that roster and he knew how to step out of the way of some of those superstar players. And that's got to be the biggest thing. If you're a coach, your number one job is put all of your players that are on the roster in the best position to succeed. And I don't think Elaine Vigneault has done yeah. that. And that's a big, the biggest indictment of him of all. Yeah, no, I couldn't like agree more. Said, before I let you jump in here, Eric, it is not hard to be a hockey coach. You put players in a position to succeed, done. That's the end of it. And I think Vigneault has intentionally put players into a position where they, like Buchnevich is not going to succeed on, on fourth line, eight minutes a night duty. It, it, Hayes is not going to succeed as a, a two-way center who's forced into the shutdown role. Tony D'Angelo is not going to succeed if you don't play him. So... When you 
look at just this body of work that Mignot has put together in terms of player development, in terms of role distribution, in terms of the way that the youth is being handled, I don't see any way you could say this is a guy who's going to win us the Stanley Cup. If the Rangers want to tank and you want to keep him in here and let him play whatever games he wants, go trade back for glass. I don't care. If that's the plan, then that's the plan. And I get it. And this would be the year to do it because there are some enormous, enormous ceilings in the top three of this draft. But the Rangers don't play that way. If they did, they would have traded Grabner. You missed that opportunity. Couldn't warn you enough about that one. Everybody's wondering what the hell happened to him. You're never going to shoot 21% again. Like all the people who just eviscerate any form of advanced statistics, math never loses ever. The law of averages always wins. Always. If a guy is a historic 12% shooter and one season he shoots 25%, chances are he will never do that again. And figuring out when to take those risks and when not to is a big part of being a general manager. Gordon did the right thing with Zibanejad. He paid him. He's going to save at least $2 million down the road a year on that, on that contract. He did not pay Miller. He did not pay Hayes. And that's going to cost him at least 2 or $3 million for each of them. So I don't even know how I got to Gordon again, but yeah. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts on who the Rangers could potentially bring in as a coach? You know, as much as saying this makes me want to groan, I think I would be okay with Sutter as a coach. And part of the reason is when I look back at the success that he had with the Kings, um, he didn't have the thing that we've all acknowledged takes the bloom off of Vino's Rose, which is a true marquee goaltender at the prime of his career. I know that there's a, a bunch of people out there who love Jonathan Quick, but, you know, I think we could agree that he's generally overrated as a goaltender and his stats kind of bear that out. Um, he won through, as best I can remember, uh, reasonably good player deployment. I mean, he played players in places that they should be played. Um, those were, you know, especially, and well, now we all remember the 14 Cup final, that those were incredibly good possession teams. Um, and what finally caught up with Sutter at the end of the day was, you know, not really as much, I think, his coaching as it was the horrible, horrible front office decisions and the contract burdens that, you know, affected the makeup of the team. So I don't know that I hold that against him. I mean, at this point, I don't, other than Lindy Ruff, who I agree would just be more of the same of Vigneo because he's just like Vigneo, I don't know that it matters to me all that much who they bring in as long as they agree to bring in somebody else. Because I would have said the same thing about Sullivan in Pittsburgh. That I'm like, I don't think this is going to be successful, as knowing what I knew of Sullivan. And by God, it surprised us. And, you know, maybe that has something to do with we didn't, what we didn't recognize in Sullivan as a coach. And maybe it just has something to do with the incentives that will exist there when a coach gets fired, that the new person who comes in, it's like, well, I can't do the exact same thing that this guy was doing. Because people are going to look at it and go, okay, what the hell? Um, or maybe it's, you know, just they need a new voice in the room. They need some new leadership. And I think we saw this in the beginning of Vigneault's tenure after Tortorella. So, I mean, I'm, I'd be fine with Sutter. I, I just I want to change more than I care necessarily at this point about who is brought in as that change. I think the change is more important. And that's probably the most important thing is just doing things differently than they're being done right now. 
Um, I, I, I do believe the Rangers are in a very unique situation where they're on the cusp of contending while also having to pay pretty intense attention to rebuilding because the Rangers can't aff- they went all in the past three years, really the past four years, and it didn't work. You, you got to pay the piper eventually. And the Rangers did by needing to trade Stepan to make room. They got D'Angelo back in the seventh overall pick to kind of help their farm system. Uh, that is the direction that the Rangers have had to go in. They cannot afford to do that again. So I, I just doing things differently is important, but it's not just doing things differently. It's, it's doing things, you know, it's doing things the right way. Um, More good. Pat, I'm sorry. We kept, we kept you. you. You have to peace out, right? I do. I mean, you got anything, you got anything to throw at me before I go? Just a thank you, I, buddy. I could offer up a, oh, all right. We got one. You really thing. have to go. That's fine. But, but I could offer up a, a hockey based nonsense question. Yeah, let's 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 answer the hockey based nonsense of question, bitch. and then I will take my leave. Okay, so the short setup the short setup for this is I I grew up in St. Louis. I live in Chicago now, um, and growing up as a hockey fan before the days of having like NHL TV and I could watch Ranger broadcasts, I had to watch basically whatever hockey was on. And as such, I've been exposed to a whole lot of play by play broadcasters. So my question for you is this: set the MSG broadcast crew aside, irrespective of what you think of them. If you love them, they're your favorite. If you don't like them, whatever. Who is your favorite play-by-play announcer in hockey today? I mean, mine's kind of a cop-out because it's, it's Kenny Albert who does the Ranger games on the radio. I love Kenny Albert. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a great broadcaster. I love to listen to his voice. I think he's twice the broadcaster his father was. So I know that's I will allow that answer because I don't even know of other, well, you know what? Here's the answer. And if you have to go, Patrick, you can, you can bounce out. Um, we appreciate you coming on the Thank show. You Thank you guys for having me on. I had fun. Um, love you all. Good night. We love you too. It's a, a big love. I will, I'm going to tell you who my favorite announcer of all time is. It's Gary Thorne. I love Gary Thorne. I grew up Agreed. listening to him on the uh, the ESPN, you know, the ESPN playoffs. Gary Thorne is my favorite. The fact that he does baseball now hurts my heart because he's just he's so much better than that. Um, but I will tell you, I'll give you a hot take for my my own viewer experience. I think Doc Emmerich calls an amazing game. I love Doc Emmerich. I, everybody hates him. I do not understand why he's knowledgeable. He's witty. He says the same thing a million different ways. I think he's a wonderful play-by-play announcer. And I would listen to him call any game of the year. Michael? Oh, boy. I really like the Gary Thorne pick. I actually grew up hating Emmerich and then definitely converting uh, I used to be one of those people who just, you know, waffle boarded under the coin. You know, it just is like nails on a chalkboard to me, Son but bitch. it's, it, it definitely grew on me. Um, I appreciate that he, he has a magic in him to just, to make games kind of enchanting. Um, my favorite commentator of all time is without a doubt, JD. I know that much. Um, and that's 
tied to plenty of bias. But uh, oh, baby. Uh, yeah, it just all those Richter glove saves, you know, all the, all the cracking up and the Rangers trivia and all that stuff. It was hard not to fall in love with, with him when you grew up with him. But uh, I. It's that's a tough call. Gary Thorne, I think, is is my answer, and I know you might think that's that's weak after you said that already. But uh, I always laugh when I hear Rick Jenneret, um, but I don't think I could stomach it every night. And uh, nope. I'm definitely not a big fan of. Uh, oh my gosh, what's his name? The Capitals play-by-play guy. That always gets to me. I don't. Maybe, uh, but you know what? Go ahead, what? Who's the Bruins guy, Jeremy Jacobs? Jack Edwards. Jack Edwards. Yeah, I don't know. Who's, who's Jeremy Jacobs? What am I thinking? Well, whatever. Jack Edwards, the worst. He is the worst person to listen to yep. as a non-Bruins fan. Easily, easily. He's, uh, yeah, that's pretty rough. I agree. It's the the the. Uh, it's, it's just bum- it's really bad. The Penguins guys are not good. The Penguins Homer guys are everything else. But Jack Edwards is without a shadow. I'm sure Bruins fans love him, but without a shadow of the doubt, I, I could, if the Rangers were playing in the Stanley Cup final and he was announcing the game, I would seriously consider listening to it on the radio. That is how much I do not like him. I wouldn't, but I would pretend that I considered it. Um, but Gary Thorne, Gary Thorne was the man. They got to bring him back. I don't know how. So I will – I have a I'll dumb question. question. <laughs> no, I, I don't want to hear what I, I have a dumb good question. Okay, I'll go ahead, answer and we'll go to your dumb good question. All right, so I agree with you 100%. Gary Thorne and Bill Clement are the piece de resistance of hockey broadcasting. There's nothing that will ever be better than that. Um, and on your point about JD with the O oh Baby, growing up in St. Louis watching Blues games, we got the bad version of the O oh Baby with Ken Wilson calling hockey games, which was just. Oh, uh, he's, he is um, my old Jack Edwards and the broadcaster that I just can't stand. But my answer, at least for people who are working today, and the reason that it's this person is because what I liked about Gary Thorne was I felt like he got authentically excited about what was going on in the game, irrespective of what team it was happening to. And I think the person who does that the best, even when they're broadcasting for their own team and are supposed to be somewhat partisan, is John Forslund from the Carolina Hurricanes. I think he is a good broadcaster. He gets legitimately excited about the plays in the game, and I just like listening to him do games. Other than the fact that there was a streak where every time he did Ranger games in the playoffs, they would lose. (laughs) Michael, go ahead and ruin what goodwill we've created. So speaking of ESPN and uh, Gary Thorne and back in the day, I don't know if you guys remember the days of the glow puck. I do. Yes. Yeah, Wyshynski wrote, uh, he's now with ESPN, by the way, uh, wrote about maybe it was time to bring the glow puck back. And uh, I was talking Why? to one of my brothers about this. I guess I know where you stand on this one already. I just don't understand I to, what's, what's the goal. Yeah, the my thing is, and it's it's very hard for me because I I was introduced to hockey by my brothers. I grew up with it. I didn't really have a choice uh, in whether or not to be a hockey fan. But it's the reasoning behind the glow puck. I think is that 
it's hard for new fans to follow the game. But I, I never understood that as someone, you know, it just, yeah, you know, it's small and it's black, but the camera is moving with the puck and you never really even need to watch the puck all that closely to understand what's going on. Like all the good stuff's happening around the puck and away from the puck. Uh, but well, Joe already ruined this by being a rude bastard, but uh, would you <laughs> hate if they tried to bring the glow puck back, Eric? I don't know that I would hate it. I, it. I wouldn't particularly care for it, and I don't think that it's necessary, and not just for the reason that you pointed out, but if you, remember, if you think about the technology of the time when the glow puck was invented for Fox broadcasts, what makes it more necessary back then in my mind, or at least made it make sense, was the low uh, quality of the video broadcasting. You know, we were watching yeah, yeah, it yeah. on televisions that are far low definition than what we're watching it on now. And I always said that, like, as a hockey fan and recognizing that it's basically, you know, the fourth most popular sport in the country, that more people, the best thing to happen to it, at least in terms of television, was the progression of HD television. It's clearer. You can see the action much better than you could back on an old tube TV. So I don't know that I'd hate it. I just don't think that it's necessary now. Well, would you, would you stomach it if you, if you knew for a fact that it would help serve as a gateway to new fans or would it be something that would be like an intolerable distraction? You, you would take, what about you, Joe? Would you not be able to get over the, the the magic glowing uh, puck, or would you take it, it if you would, knew it meant hockey would grow a little? I, I think it would benefit new fans to the game, but I think it would turn off a lot of current fans. And listen, I have a, an enormous amount of ADD. I when I watch hockey, and I'm not going to tell you how to watch hockey, but when I watch hockey, I so very rarely look at the puck. I try to see how the play is developing. When play is getting close, my, my eyes just gravitate towards the back of the net. Um, when there's scrums, I'm gravitating towards the back of the net. When I see a shot from the point, I grab my eyes gravitate to the net because that's where that's how I make the distinction of, of what I'm looking for. And it would ruin. I would have so much ADD. Like I would when if there's a two on one for example, with Hayes and Miller, whoever it is. I look at the goalie. I look at the defenseman. I want to see where Hayes is in comparison to Miller. Where's the puck? Where's the trailer? How much time does he have? What's the goalie doing? Is he going to shoot? Is he going to pass? If there was a puck that was glowing, I would just be like, ooh, shiny. And that would be the only thing that I would pay attention to. <laughs> and it would ruin the way that I would watch the game. Now, that may be me. I don't you're, know. You're like a dog. That's okay. I'm absolutely like a dog. That, that may just be me. But I would have a serious – that's just the way that I watch hockey. It is the way that I internalize the game. Um, I almost never look at the puck. I'll look at the puck on a penalty shot. I'll look at the puck on a breakaway, maybe to see if it's on edge. Um, but other than that, there's really not a ton of – not a ton of moments where I'm focused on the puck. And I would be unable to do anything other than focus on the puck if it was – if it was – See, for me, the most distracting thing, the most distracting thing with the glow puck was not necessarily the puck itself, but just the way that hockey games are broadcast and that when the puck would go along the board at the bottom of your screen, the glow would hover over the crowd 
And that just seems yeah, so yeah. weird to me. Yeah, yeah. And it would change color depending on how hard it was shot. And it right, was it would just, turn orange uh, if it was hit really hard. Yeah, yeah. It was. I think it was one of those ideas that seemed really good on paper, but in, it, like when you saw it unfold, it was just oh god, like this is. And that's that's the big worry, right? The fact that it, it turns off fans, like it's the just another wrinkle in you know how complicated it is for for hockey being not you know still obviously a you know a huge entertainment industry and a major sport but you know there's that same kind of debate about oh fighting just turns off some fans and other fans you know can't get enough of it you know that's that's why a lot of fans go to games um this is obviously you know the glow puck is obviously in a much different different field but it's it's it made me think a lot about because we've seen hockey go in a good direction lately uh you know, even with a lot of the issues with concussions and all that stuff, and I know we're wandering into some broad general topics for no reason at all here, but uh, it struck me as a really interesting idea, but I don't think we're ready for it yet. And mostly because of a lot of those quirks we remember, but also because until they can really master it, I don't think we need it. And, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a way to have it so a fancy TV or a fancy broadcast signal, you could have it both ways. You know, it could present it with and without, like like a subtitle option or something like that. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that one up. Way to go. Way to well, go. Well, I didn't want to just talk about how Vigneault is goddamn shooting holes into the bottom of our <laughs> life raft here. Can only do that yeah. for so long, Joe. Well, we did Sharks lots of things, Michael. In. You're shooting a flare gun into the bottom of the dinghy and everything's falling apart. Yeah, we're all going to drown. That's pretty much that's pretty much where we stand. Uh, this show is brought to you by Patreon, which is an example of how good Patreon is by having Eric here. Because Anthony Viola, John J. Porter, Eric Cohn, Alexander Ricard, Daniel DeGen, Matt Bader, George Lippman, Guy from Montana, Andrew Grigo, John Reppy, Stink Fleeman, Trevor Kempner, Dan Carosi, Arch Williams, Alexander Thornton, Igor Zatlovsky, Bob Kawa, Thomas Osa, and Michael Silvers. They all donated. And guess I what? Say, North and South Dakota, you better step up because Guy from Montana is doing all the heavy Guy lifting. from Montana is just he's beating the hell out of all of you. And Eric was a wonderful – Eric, you were a wonderful guest, I have to say. Well, yeah, we don't me. need me. Just have Eric on. He said many smart, smart people things that well, I don't say. I don't know if we really need you at and all, but we know for damn sure you don't say them. So, okay, you know what? I'm going to fight you in real life. As soon as this podcast well, is over, I'm going to fight you in real life. Even um, your daughter's going to grow up with a father in a wheelchair, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, what did you say to him, you son of a bitch? Yeah. Oh! yeah thank you. That's become my catchphrase, I think. A lot of people have mentioned Somebody <laughs> mentioned that on uh, yeah. on Twitter. I did like a picture of Stanley looking it's back angrily at somebody who what said something mad, something bad about Rick Nash. And I was like, what did you say? And somebody said, it doesn't count unless you say son of a bitch. So that's, yeah, that that's is kind of your trademark. It is. That's my, that's my claim to fame right now, which I'm not, I don't know how I feel about that. I think I'm pretty proud of it, actually. I don't think there's a better moment. At least it is an idiotic tangents because that's mine apparently well i mean listen mike you have to 
it is what it is at this point. We're all. I'm proud of who I am. Not ashamed. I am very proud of who you are. I want you to know that. I think you should know that. Let's cuddle later. Let's not fight. We no, we shouldn't fight. Um. All right. Well, thank you all for coming on. This was. Are the Rangers going to win Thursday? No. Eric. Oof. It's the Derek Stepan game. Horn honk, bell ring, kazoo sound. Womp womp. Um, <laughs> they will lose in a shootout. Oh, that would be appropriate. Derek I Stepan like is going to score the goal that gets Vigneault fired. It's so that's poetic. Alex, that's what Alex Nunn said, so, you know. That would be good. That would be it would be good. How terrible is that? And Clendenning has to set it up, but that's the only other only other requirement. And Ronta. Clendenning and Ronta. Isn't Ronta hurt or is he is he uh, back? He yet? might be, but you know what? Here he comes out of injury to dominate. Yeah, it's the the Talbot curse. Uh, so it'll be a it'll be a one nothing victory. Ronta will get the shutout, and the game-winning goal will be Stepan set up by Duclair and Clendenning. Ooh, Duclair, I forgot about him. <laughs> and somewhere Ronta will be oh, smiling. Oh, and now well, I'm going to go cry. Ladies. Thank you, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Um, you can follow me at Joe Fortunato BSB, Mike at Dig Deep BSB. Eric, what's your handle? Uh, I... Eric Cohn, I-E-R-I-C-K-O-H-N. And uh, make sure you follow Blue Shirt follow Panther. Follow Blue Shirt Banner. Yeah. yeah, follow Blue Shirt yes. Panther. And if you don't follow Blue Shirt Panther, Mike will find you. It's just the way that shit works. Uh, what was I going to say? All right, Beth is a whale. Good night. Good night. Good night.